Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Food bloggers, don't forget to check out the food blogging forum style community that we started over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. Finally, there's one place that we can all convene and talk and that isn't scattered all over Facebook. Here are the things that I am loving about it. It is free. It also allows for categorized discussions on all food blogging topics And there's a category for sharing successes, aka self-promotion. So no more holding back about discussing your big wins and things that you're promoting. Also, everything is in one single spot. So no hopping around from group to group. And there's an amazing opportunity to network and really get to know your fellow food bloggers in a single place. So come join the discussions that are going on over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. And I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Don't forget forum.eatblogtalk.com. Okay, food bloggers, have you heard of Flowdesk, the new big email marketing rage? This is an amazing new option for managing your email subscriber list. It is super easy to use and it comes with gorgeous, intuitive drag and drop templates. And Flowdesk does not charge based on number of subscribers. So your monthly rate will stay the same from month to month. Everyone pays $38 a month or use my affiliate link to get 50% off and pay only $19 a month. You guys, this is a fraction of the price of other email service providers, and you'll be blown away by the beautiful and intuitive templates waiting for you inside. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. Flowdesk, the stunning new option for email marketing. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast made for you, food bloggers seeking value for your businesses and your lives. Today, I will be having a chat with Deborah Thompson from SavvyBytes.com, and we will talk about how to gain traction on your blog by tapping into a niche. Deborah is a professional chef turned food blogger. She began her first blog about four years ago and struggled to gain traction on that. She didn't know who her audience was or who she was creating for, but she kept moving forward because giving up just didn't feel right. Then she found her niche and has been able to go from zero to 4,000 page views in three weeks. That's so amazing. She discovered that motivation and dedication becomes much easier when you know who you are creating for and why. Deborah, I'm super excited for this chat today. I think it's a very relevant topic. But first, give us a fun fact about yourself. Um, Okay, so fun fact is that I moved from Canada, the West Coast, to the UK to work in kitchens. I really wanted to be a professional chef and I thought it'll be a great way to settle into the UK, meet, you know, lots of like-minded people, camaraderie with other female chefs. And every single kitchen I worked in while I was there, I was the only female chef. Oh, no. (laughs) In every single one. (laughs) Oh, well, that's just proof that sometimes you set out with an idea in your mind, right? And then nothing is fulfilled, but it 
presents itself in a much different way, but then it ends up being okay. I'm sure it ended up being okay. And you learned things probably. You know what? It was completely amazing. And they were some of the best years of my life, really. And when you, I think when you have an intention and it's not what you expect, you just make the best of it. And it just turns into something else that you didn't want it anyway. Right. You know? Yeah. So that's a great perspective. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And I mentioned a little while ago, I just think this is such a relevant topic that we are talking about today, tapping into a niche, because we are all looking for those little bits of magic that will propel our blogs and businesses in the right direction. And I truly believe that finding a niche and having a really clear picture about who we are delivering our content to is one of those magic pieces of the puzzle that kind of precedes success. So once you found your niche, Deborah, your blog grew quickly before your eyes, which says a lot. So I would love it if you started out talking about how you kept moving through those four years before you discovered your niche. Right. Um, so I started, I've probably had two or three blogs before Savvy Bites. And I remember being in big kitchens and, you know, the shelf life of a professional chef in the UK can be relatively short. You're sort of doing hundred hour weeks and oh, things like that. And yeah. So you can hit burnout really quickly. And I thought, I don't want to be doing this forever. And I thought, what else can I do? And I stumbled upon a couple of food blogger cookbooks in my local bookshop. And I thought, that's amazing. I absolutely love the idea of doing this. And I didn't even really know what food blogs were. And I started to do a bit of research. How do I write a cookbook? You know, like, how long is a piece of string really? Like, you can write a cookbook a thousand different ways. And then the idea of food blogs and all these food blogs started coming to the surface for me. And I thought, I'm going to do this. And I started and I thought, why am I doing this? Who am I doing this for? And in the beginning, I really was just sort of figuring out, how do you take good photos? Like that was sort of the first thing. And then, you know, I knew how to develop a recipe. That wasn't the problem. And I think I just wanted to get better at doing the photography. And so I kept going, even though I didn't really know each recipe. I was like yeah, but does this really matter? I don't know. I'm going to put it out anyway, because I've done it. So I'm going to put it out. And I think that was it. I just wanted to get better at something. So I just sort of kept doing the photography. And then, you know, I had people coming to the website saying your photos are great. And I was like, okay, so how do I get more people coming for the food or for the recipe? And then I discovered the Food Blogger Central Facebook group. And all of this stuff about SEO. And I was like, what the heck is SEO? I don't even know what that is. Um, and then I discovered this whole sort of subgenre of blogging about SEO. And I was like, oh, I want to get good at SEO now. And so I think what kept me going in those early days, even though I didn't know who I was talking to, is I just wanted to keep getting better at the actual mechanics of blogging, if that makes sense. That does make sense. I love how you described that. So then I sort of got to a point where I was, you know, I kind of went, well, I probably could have gone further learning SEO on my own, but as anyone who's doing self-educated SEO knows, it is a huge, huge sort of thing to undertake. And I kept hearing Casey Markey's name. 
actually in um I was a member of Food Blogger Pro at the time, actually, and he was the SEO expert in the forums on Food Blogger Pro. And I thought, okay, so how do I really know? I think um, I didn't have ads on the site. I might have had gourmet ads on the site at the time, but I was close to being with Mediavine. I was so close, or maybe just with Mediavine, and I thought, right, to, to get my SEO where I need it to be. I need to invest. I need to know, you know, because so much of what we read is great SEO stuff, but it's quite generic. Nothing is tailored to you specifically, your blog, your your thing. So I booked with Casey and oh my <laughs> goodness, it was an absolute game changer. My SEO, he went through everything with a fine tooth comb and I implemented all the stuff that he told me to do, and I saw huge gains in Google organic traffic, but I still struggled with who I was talking to, you know, so even though I was getting more Google traffic and more Pinterest traffic, I still didn't know who I was talking to, and that I found incredibly frustrating for myself. Yeah. So can you talk to us about like what kind of recipes were you making before in that previous blog. And I mean, can you pinpoint now looking back like, oh, I was kind of talking to this audience or is it still kind of unclear for you? Um, It's clearer, but I was sort of making more comfort food, but bringing a bit more of a a chef flair to comfort food, Um, sort of uh, rustic. So lots of pastas and that kind of thing, lots of baking, but everything really quite pretty. Hmm. Pretty comfort food. That is a good spin. <laughs> Most comfort it, yeah. food is just not very pretty. It, it doesn't normally lend itself to attractiveness. So yes, but it was also, you know, I live in the UK, but I was writing all of my recipes in cups and ounces and designing recipes for an American audience that were going to be shopping for American ingredients. And there was just such a disconnect that it. there was a point where I thought, I really have no idea what I'm doing here, (laughs) like in terms of how I'm going to advance this whole, this whole thing. How am I going to get to the next level of where I want to go? And at the be all and the end all, how is this helpful? Yeah. And who am I helping? Who am I helping? (laughs) Who am I helping? Why am I doing it? You know, all the things that really bring motivation and dedication to the table, right? Yeah. So... Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I just had this picture in my mind of going to present information in a group of people, like actual physical group of people. If you go and present the wrong information to these people, they're coming here for a reason, then it's completely pointless. So it's the same concept. It's like you're presenting your information. And for you, you were, you know, in a different part of the globe than where your ingredients were. And it was just kind of like not all making sense. And none of it made sense. Yeah. Um, You know, and my analogy is sort of like with my first blog, it was like I was standing in the middle of Times Square yelling, here I am, here I am. And with Savvy Bites now, I feel like I'm literally walking up to a group of people and saying, there you are. I've made this for you. Oh, doesn't that feel so good? It's so like, it's just so much easier. Yeah. (laughs) And you can approach it. I can approach it from a place of being really calm 
rather than frantic and trying to think what's going to work. Is this going to work? Is this, I don't have to ask what's going to work. I know what's going to work because they ask me to make, you know, and you're, it's like you're taking away a level of resistance. There have been times throughout my journey with my blogging that I've just felt so much resistance. And this just makes things so much easier. And I loved what you said earlier. I want to point this out. You said that you had focused on getting better at the mechanics of food blogging. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. I can definitely relate to that. I did that for so many years where I photography too was my kind of thing that was like, oh, I'm not very good at this, but I want to get better at this. And I did fairly quickly. And then for you, it was SEO was kind of the next thing that came onto your radar. And there's so many different parts of food blogging that things just keep popping up. And it's like tempting if you have the personality type to kind of want to tackle something and get really good at it. There is a lot of opportunity and in so many different realms, like creative and technical. And then you've got the analytics and all of that. So I like that you worded it that way because I'd never really thought of it like that before. But yeah, the mechanics kind of get us through a lot of those first stages where we're just wading through the waters, figuring out who we are, what's going on. So how did you get through all of that without going crazy? Because four years is a long time to go through that. (laughs) Um, I think, well, and I, you know, there were sort of sometimes a two month stretch where I didn't post anything. So, you know, the, the sort of complacency bug did hit every once in a while. And I think I just got through it really, because in all honesty, it just didn't feel right to give up. I felt like I hadn't exhausted every avenue yet. And it just, you know, like in the Food Blogger Central Facebook group, I I absolutely love, love, love that group. It's brought so much to my world. But Kay Feather, who is hyper local to me, I think she lives 30 minutes away. um, She has a wildly successful blog in the UK called Pinch of Nom. And they're on their third cookbook now or something. And, you know, like they are everywhere. She has absolutely done dynamite with that. And all of their recipes are Slimming World recipes, which is like the UK version of Weight Watchers. She took the UK by storm. And in this group, all she ever said was, I mean, she said so much more, but the the thing, find a niche find a niche, find a niche. And I just, it just kept rolling over in my mind over and over for probably a year or so, maybe more. And I kept thinking, right, what's my niche? What's my niche? How do I help? How do I help? And honestly, I can't even tell you how the Aldi recipes thing came to me, but I just thought, oh my God. Well, yeah, they are expanding so, so, so rapidly in the UK, especially, but I know all over the world. And they have fan pages popping up on Facebook, hundreds of thousands of people, fan pages. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. And I'd, you know, I joined a bunch of them and people were asking for recipe ideas all the time, all the time. And I was like, oh my gosh, maybe there's something here. Maybe I can do something. Maybe I can be really helpful here. And I started to just sort of drop some ideas in the Facebook groups. And people were like, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. 
Or, you know, I'd make something and I'd post a photo. People would be like, that looks amazing. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to try this. And um, actually off of that post I wrote on Facebook about not giving up and everything, Kay sent me a message and she was like, that's a brilliant idea. (laughs) And she's like, I'm way too busy. But she's like, she's like, yes, go run, run with it. So that was really encouraging as well. Absolutely. And it helps to get that validation. But talk to us about what your niche is, because it's a really cool one. So I create recipes that only use ingredients and products from Aldi. Often, um, most people in the UK will shop at Aldi, but then they'll go somewhere else to get bits and pieces that they can't get at Aldi. And I know I used to do it. I used to do my Aldi shop. And that's exactly what people call it. I'm doing an Aldi shop. <laughs> yep. And they would go to, you know, whatever other major grocery store to get the bits and pieces that Aldi doesn't carry. And I thought, yeah, we're all spending a lot of extra time doing this. And we're all spending a lot of extra money doing this. Um, what if I brought my creativity as a chef to the table and really honed in on that for myself and created recipes where people didn't have to do a second shop. If Aldi didn't stock it, I don't use it. So, you know, it it does limit what I can use. But one of my favorite sayings ever is let structure set you free. Oh, I love that. It's the best, isn't it? And it's so true. My world, my recipe creation has completely changed since I set these parameters. Completely changed. You look at food in a new way, probably, right? Because you have to in order to be creative. So I get a lot more creative with how to spice things and how to season things. Certainly a lot more, um, shall we say, my, my spice cabinet is maximized, shall we say. Everything does sort of double and triple duty and there is nothing, you know, there's no such thing as like a pumpkin pie spice in my cabinet that gets used once a year everything gets really used and then you don't have anything sitting around for a long time, which equally is helpful. And cutting back on expenses for groceries every single week is such a huge part of our struggle. So I love that you've tapped into that. Yeah. And I think when, you know, when you're first starting out and you're not making any money, it can be really discouraging. And, you know, it all sort of adds up. You're not making any money and your grocery bill is huge because you want to make all these recipes, but then you don't know who you're making them for. And you sit there and you go, hang on, I need, I, I need to rethink the whole formula here of what's going on. Oh, goodness. If I could go back on my into my archives and look at how many recipes I didn't know who I was even making those for and all of the money that added up <laughs> that would kill me I, I won't do it <laughs> yeah no exactly you can do the math you'd be like oh my god how did that happen but you know it's all the steps and I think again it can be easy as someone starting out to think ah oh, these people you know all these other bloggers know exactly who they're talking to and yeah, it no one starts out that way. Yeah. That's so true. No one starts out knowing, you know, and if if they do, Mazel tov, please tell me your <laughs> secret. But almost no one starts out knowing this is who I'm talking to, this is who I'm creating for. So, the 
moral here is don't beat yourself up if you're listening and you don't know who you're creating for. And I also want to point out that it's really important to find a niche, but it's also not something that you necessarily want to rush into. And I love that you saw the need to have a niche, first of all, but then you tested it a little bit. You put it out there to see how people would react to it. You identified a problem that people were having and how you could solve that. And you did a little bit of research and all of that is really vital to finding a niche. So don't just like, okay, I think it's going to be, I'm going to focus on pretty comfort food and then just dive in, like actually do some testing and thinking. And you also relied, Deborah, on your intuition. You listened to your gut a little bit because you mentioned how you were like, well, it just didn't feel right to quit. I just felt like there was more to tap into. I needed to keep going. So you knew that you just, for some reason, you needed to keep going and moving forward. So for food bloggers listening who are sitting where you were a few years ago, feeling like all the work they're putting into their blogs just isn't making sense. They don't know who they are creating for, who they're spending all this grocery money on. Give us some tangible first steps to take to dig out of that nicheless place. So one of the first things when I was thinking about it was, what do I like to cook? That was the big thing. And I looked through my previous blog and everything, like I don't do breakfasts. I don't do sort of fancy desserts. Every single thing I was making was, I call it sort of chef's day off food because chefs notoriously, (laughs) when we have days off, we just want pasta bakes. We want just everyday food. And that's what I was making. I was making mostly dinners and a lot of them were quick dinners. So I was like, okay, so this is clearly something I feel pulled to. So I started to really look at what I enjoy making, first of all. And then second of all, partly what's becoming really popular. And I just kept seeing these Aldi groups coming up and I thought, okay, maybe there's something there. And I think sort of honing down on that sweet spot where your creativity and passion meets someone else's needs and requirements and sort of creating that overlap of what you can bring to the table and what they need you to bring to the table. And that can really take some digging and thinking. I think um, you can't just tap into that right off the bat, you can't think of something. Maybe, I mean, maybe you can. Maybe there's somebody who's like, I know exactly what my passions are and I know how this can marry with a trend or something that somebody's needing. But I think in most cases, this does take some time. I think so. I think it takes trial and and I think it takes a bit of initial food blogging for you to find out what it is that you really like to do. Like, what do you like to post about, you know, twice a week or three times a week, however many times you decide to post, what is it that you find yourself thinking about and creating week after week after week? For some people, you know, a month in and they go, do you know, I haven't made anything but a 30 minute meal all month. And then, you know, you think, right, 30 minute meals, I can do something there. Or all month, all I've been doing is plant-based and I've been absolutely loving it. Well, you know, maybe there's something there. So, you know, I think there's a lot of trial and error of just simply exploring, you know, and finding, like I said, what you like to do, because I think you will never work harder than 
when you think this is going to be really popular, but you don't love it and you try and make it work. I think that is always such hard work to do. Oh, it is. It's, yeah. It goes to, back to that resistance thing. And for me, I found that over the years, I've <laughs> laid in my bed at three in the morning thinking about certain types of recipes. I don't know if I'm the only <laughs> one that does this, but I'll be like, no. oh my gosh, this cake would be so amazing. And then I start thinking of like what I would put in the center or, I mean, I have a few different things that I love making. So cakes, I love making a good comfort food dish. And I do this, I will wake up in the middle of the night and start dreaming about what I'm going to put together. So I'm not saying that everybody does that because that's kind of weird, but you know, like, what are you thinking about during the day? What sorts of creations are you conjuring up? Those are the things that you maybe could focus on. So what do we say to those people who have a lot of different food passions and have a blog that's just filled with all different kinds of recipes? I think then um, let structure set you free sort of mantra comes in then. And I think you can sort of, I'm a, I'm a big believer that you can spin a lot out of nothing essentially. And you can just sort of gather maybe five, six, seven recipes and say, right, I'm going to sort of turn this into my, my core kind of niche and I'm going to build on this. And really keep yourself, you know, maybe 90 days and just really keep yourself focused and build a niche out of what you've already created. So how would someone do that? So we obviously have places to go like Google Analytics. We can see what people are loving, what our top 10 from the last year are. We can do polls and ask people on Instagram, what are your favorites? And then we can also think through things like, who is my avatar? Who am I cooking for? So what other ideas do you have? I think, um, it, you know, something that I have started using so, so, so much is Google Trends. Um, absolutely love using Google Trends. It is definitely a, um, a premium subscription, but uh, SEMrush is absolutely in incredible for being able to build out your niche and looking for keywords related to your niche. I think you can get two weeks for free. Yes, um, I believe that's right. Yeah. So, you know, I would think if it's not something that you're ready to invest in, sign up for the two weeks for free when you have an idea of what you want and just dig in, <laughs> you know, dig into those keywords and make notes of them and sort of build from there and see how you go. And um, Pinterest, you know, Pinterest is an absolutely amazing tool. We all think, right, I need to drive traffic on Pinterest. I need to drive traffic. But I tell you what, it's an absolutely amazing resource about what your people are looking for. You know, since I've started doing Savvy Bites, I tell you what, I've been on Pinterest and time after time after time, it's becoming really obvious to me that I need to start doing meal plans. The number of people looking for Aldi meal plans is through the roof. But the only reason I know that is because I was diving into, you know, keyword related searches with Aldi recipes and it just kept coming up over and over meal plans, meal plans, budget meal plans, uh, family friendly budget meal plans, affordable meal plans, Aldi meal plans. So I think to use something like Pinterest and Google Trends and SEMrush to really start, again, it's the mechanics of blogging, right? You know, 
figuring out where your people are, where they hang out, so that you can stop shouting in Times Square and just simply walk up to your people and say, hey, I've made us this. Yes. What do you think? I love that. So it's easy to tell people, okay, you need to look here, 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 Pinterest, Google Analytics, create polls, and gather information that way. But then like, what do they do with that information? Let's say they do all of that and they know like, okay, it's mostly women and they love my spaghetti and pasta recipes and also my salad recipes. So how do they take all of that information that they gather and put it together to get a really great niche? Yeah. I think of blogs these days as cookbooks. And if your most popular chapters of your book are, like you said, pastas and salads, then create really big pasta and salad chapters and sort of start thinking about variations and, you know, not saying that you can't sort of throw in the odd dessert or whatever. But I think when you really become known for something and become that destination, so, you know, maybe you do like a 75-25 of pastas and salads and become the place for those people to go for those two things. I really like that. Become known for something. So think of it that way. Like, what do I want to be known for? Are you putting stuff on your blog that you don't necessarily want to be associated with? Then that's probably something you should discontinue. But if you want to be known for it, then keep on. Exactly. Exactly. You know, like for me, it was really apparent. I do not want people to come to me for breakfast recipes. I so rarely even eat breakfast myself that, you know, it's just not my sweet spot. It's not where I'm comfortable. I don't really enjoy making breakfast foods. Not saying I never will. You know, I might throw in the odd French toast casserole kind of thing, but you're not going to come to my blog and go, ah, breakfast recipes. (laughs) That will never happen, you know? And I think sometimes it's easy to eliminate what you don't want to be known for. It was really clear I was never going to be a breakfast blogger. Great. Let's just get that right off the table right now. So I don't even know if I have a breakfast category <laughs> on Savvy Bite. I might do. Um, but, it, you know, it might have one recipe on there. So I think when you can eliminate what you don't want to be known for, it really narrows down what you want to be known for. So not only am I all the ingredients only, but I'm really everyday dinner based. So that's a very specific niche. Very, very. If you want a an amazing, limited ingredient, easy to make weeknight dinner, come and see me. And I think that we think that the more specific we get with a niche, that the harder it is going to be for people to find us. But I think the opposite is actually the truth. It's funny. I was actually thinking about Dana from Minimalist Baker And their niche was vegan, 10 ingredients or less, one bowl, and 30 minutes or less. That's how niche she was when they started. And she absolutely grew like wildfire. So I think you're completely right. The more niche you can be, the more you become known for something. And the more of a destination you become, the the more expert you become as well. And we know that Google loves an expert these days. So true. And it's counterintuitive. I think we fight it for so long because it seems like 
no, I should be able to put everything and just be wildly successful. But when you can find that magic and tap into it and just really hone in on something super specific, I mean, goodness, you do only all the ingredients and dinners pretty much. And that that's crazy. And then you just immediately found that your page views started going through the roof. Through the roof. And I think I've got 42, maybe 52 posts on Instagram. And, you know, our love-hate relationship with Instagram, it's 50 posts I've got on there sporadically. And I think there's 229 followers. And I know that these are all people who are going to stay. And this isn't the follow for a follow and unfollow. None of that's happened. These are all followers that are staying because they know what I do. Exactly. Right. So I kind of like this. Like we've talked about how mechanics get us through those first few, I don't know, years or months, whatever it is for you, of food blogging. And then we get to a point where we have to marry our passions and what the trends are. And I think that is such a good formula. And I've never thought about it like that. But I just love that. I love having those words to kind of frame that for me. So I think one of the factors in finding success with food blogging and like really digging into a niche, and this might seem like a stretch, but I think one of the factors is getting over jealousy and like being envious of other people's work because that can be such a huge block for people. You can't get past that. And when you can get past it, I think the floodgates just open up for you. So do you have any words of wisdom on this topic? Um, I don't know if it was one of my grandparents that used to say this, but they always said, when you cheer someone else's success, you're telling the universe that you want some of that too. Oh, I love that. And then you think, well, I want to cheer super hard for them then because <laughs> I want I want lots of that stardust magic for myself too. Like I just and I think we also need to realize that success isn't this finite limited thing that only sort of a select group of us will ever taste. Success is infinite and it's available to everybody. And so, you know, someone else's success is not the elimination of your own. And I think, I, th I think often we can get into that sort of, especially in the beginning when you are confused and you think, I don't know what I'm doing SEO wise, photography wise, you know, niche wise. And I think you can start to see success as like this really sort of finite thing that some people hit on it and some people don't. And are you going to be the one that does or that doesn't? And it's not like that. It's there for everyone. You just have to keep going because everybody has like persevered through through the the suckiness of <laughs> those first months and you know for some of us years that we're like I don't know what I'm doing yes <laughs> everyone perseveres and you know that's that's where and when you find the success right like success comes with experience definitely and it's easy to look at a quote successful blogger and think that they just happened to land there and they got really lucky or you know, it didn't take them very long, but actually most people put in a lot of sweat and tears to get to the point where they're at. And I love something that you mentioned, just the fact that there is opportunity for success for everyone. One person's success does not mean your failure. 
And it again, this is another concept that seems counterintuitive, but it's the opposite. And if you allow yourself to open up and cheer people on, it is amazing what happens. And I I used to be stuck in that mindset of being envious of people. And during those years, things were not growing. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. But then once I was able to really see that people were awesome and food bloggers are so hardworking and they're creative and they're just amazing and started cheering them on. It felt so good, doesn't it? It just feels like this is right. This is what I should have been doing all along. Exactly. And then you kind of notice, hey, my traffic's going up. That feels great. It just creates this flow of like, I don't know, like this stardust magic that just keeps getting sprinkled on everything, you know, sort of in your path. And you think, how was I not doing this the whole time? Like, this is amazing. And another thing about success in other people is that it gives you an idea about what's possible. Um, I remember seeing, okay, this was a few years ago, but I was in the grocery store and I saw a magazine that Six Sisters stuff had created. And I was like so happy for them. My boys were like, mom, what is going on? And I can see where a few years prior to that, I would have been like, you know, maybe feeling a little jealousy, like, well, why did they get a magazine? But I felt like, okay, this is so cool. They work their butts off. They do so much content creation, such good quality stuff. And now they've got this magazine. And I just thought, this is so awesome. And also just, okay, well, if they can create a magazine, then others can do that too. And who knows what other opportunities are out there that blogging can lead to. Truly, you know, I think um, what Gabby ate when she started doing those salsas with um, William Sonoma, didn't she? And I just thought, oh my gosh, like, that's amazing. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, and you just, that never even would have entered into my head previously. See, exactly. So it's like things that you don't even think are possible. They become possible for other people. And then you can wrap your head around like, oh, well, if that's possible for them, what in the world could be possible for me? And then when you start putting that out there and changing your mindset in that way, oh my gosh, things just open up. Yeah, yeah. completely, completely. No, I, I fully agree. And the harder you cheer for someone else, the better everybody feels, the better the community is. I totally agree with that. I could talk about that probably in an entirely different episode because I love that topic. But yeah. Yeah. So do you have any tips for just staying on a positive path? If someone's listening and they're in the trenches, maybe at the point that you were a couple of years ago, just feeling stuck, do you have tips for them? Just encouragement, things that will help them to keep going and not give up? Yeah. I, I think, you know, like I said, Firstly, the mechanics, like if you don't have a niche and you think, God, I need to find a niche, I need to find a niche, just slow down first and really work the mechanics of blogging. Figure out your SEO, you know, Pinterest, the traffic giver that gives and then taketh away like <laughs> overnight, it seems like, you know, figure out Pinterest and what you need to do there and figure out the mechanics before you think I need to deep dive into a niche right now. And just like give yourself that space to figure it out. And honestly, I think when you work the mechanics, the answers start to come because you just allow yourself to, to just keep putting one foot in front of the other and the answers just come. 
with each step, you get closer to the answers that you're looking for. And another thing, like a thing that really saw me through was the idea that tomorrow is made in the here and now. It is one of my absolute favorite, favorite quotes ever. And every time I think, uh, I'll skip doing that today. And I think tomorrow I'll be really glad that I did it. And I sit down and I do it or whatever it is that I need to do. And I always think tomorrow is made in the here and now. I love that. It's like the um, the seed planting. I always use that analogy. Like planting seeds today might seem burdensome and annoying, but those seeds, if you get them in the ground and you start planting them, tomorrow they're going to be beautiful. So get those seeds planted, do the mechanic work that needs to go into food blogging because there's a lot of it. You need to hone your skills in many areas if you want to be in this game for a long time. So that's great advice, Deborah. Yeah. And I think, um, as we know, food blogging is, it, it's not uh, it's not a cheap sport, um, <laughs> you know? And I think like, don't jump into a niche and sort of go, oh, right. Okay. So I'll buy this domain that fits with this niche and I'll build this blog. And before you know it, you've spent a small fortune and you think, huh, actually, I don't really like doing these types of recipes anyway, you know, so give yourself time to figure it out and make mistakes and keep learning the mechanics of it all. Great advice. And we also were learning about ourselves during that process too, and getting to know who we are as food bloggers. So I think that allowing yourself that grace and time up front is just really, really important. But we all want to rush into it. We see the success. We're like, oh, I want that. But it is really important. Just sit still for a little bit. Be patient. Yeah, I think it's sort of the idea of slowing down to speed up and how you give yourself that sort of however long it is for you. You know, for some people, it might be six months. For other people, it might be 18 months, whatever it is, you know, and then you've worked on your mechanics, you've worked on your photography, your niche, all that. And now all of a sudden you can hit the ground running. But if you jump from niche to niche and think, I've got it, I've got it, you find yourself maybe 18 months like I did, you know, two, three years down the line and you think, I really still don't know what I'm doing here. You know? And you sort of have spent a lot of time and energy making yourself really busy and you probably don't need to do that. Oh, this is all great stuff. Wow. This is one of my favorite um, episodes, I think. Wow, this is good. Yay. So we have to wrap up, unfortunately, but are there any last nuggets that you wanted to impart before we start saying goodbye? Yeah, just just to remember that, like you said, you know, planting the seeds today and give yourself the grace and the patience and to just really cheer hard for those you see succeeding because one day they really will be cheering for you. Oh, I love that. What a great way to end. Well, thank you, Deborah, so much for being here and sharing all of this value with food bloggers. I know that food bloggers will find this really valuable and can take away some great nuggets to go find their own niche, their super specific niche, whatever that might be. So thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved every second. Oh, me too. And I know you've already shared about a million awesome, inspiring quotes and words of inspiration, but do you have anything else for us before we say goodbye? Yeah, I think um, 
when you feel compelled to start something like a food blog, it's definitely not for the faint of heart. And I think when something is important enough to you, you do it anyways, even if you think, I'm not sure how I can do this. I'm not sure what my niche is. You just do it anyways, because it's important. And there will be people out there that need what you're offering. Hmm. Great stuff. Thank you so much. Well, Deborah has a list of resources relating to today's topic, and you can find those on her show notes page at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Deborah Thompson. Deborah, tell my listeners the best place they can find you online. Um, Savvybytes.co.uk is my blog home. And then Savvy.bytes on Instagram and everywhere else, actually. Awesome. Uh, so Facebook. and Yeah. Cool. Well, everyone, go check Deborah's pages out. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.